So this week, we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 13 on deacons. So he first takes the elders, the overseers, the bishops, however you want to translate that word, episkopos. I like the word overseer. Elders, bishop, too much baggage with that. Too many different variations of what that is. People ask me, what should I call you? And I say, call me Brian. You know, it's always so weird to have, okay, now we're going to have pastor, reverend, so bishop, elder, uh, doctor, so-and-so is going to pray for us. And then they say, dear Jesus. What? The king of kings, the Lord of lords? The Alpha the Mobile, you know, we don't, we don't address him as with some great title. We just say Joshua, Yahshua, Jesus, Jesus. So if, if the Lord is wanting that kind of familiarity with one of us who does have the greatest title of all titles, right? No, no name, no name above that name. Then that, I think that's a clear indicator. I think the apostles, you know, I think from time to time they call them rabbi or rabboni, but typically I think they just called him Jesus. The guy who was the carpenter from Nazareth. But if you insist on calling me, I like Bishop. Bishop Brian. BB, if you, if you insist. I've been called Father Brian by my own, not, not counting my own children, but other people. I'm sort of like, yeah, Father Brian. Um, but anyway, the elders, they, they did have, it seemed, a, a lengthy list of character qualities that we went over last week in length. But when you really look at it, isn't it just describing a Christian that we should all be? <laughs> now, if you're an elder, you need to be this way. But if you're just a regular Christian, yeah, go for it. Send your head off. I, I don't think that's true, right? So really, in, in reality, we are just defining a strong, stable Christian who really has matured in his faith and, is, and has a season of constantly walking in a godly manner that we all should walk in. I, mean, I think that's, we could sum it up that way, really. But when we're looking at the deacon, there's going to be less things said uh, requiring them. The only two, the only real big difference between the elder and a deacon or an overseer and a deacon is this. The overseer needs to be able to teach the word. The one who is the deacon He's the one overseeing the, the more physical aspects of the needs of the church. He needs to be solid in his doctrine, we're going to find out, but he doesn't need to be able to teach it. So I think my first knee-jerk reaction is I see different personalities of people. I mean, I know some deacons, and you start talking to them about the word, and it's like, stop, I need to write this down. They go deep, but yet... In their personality and the way they are wired, they, they're quiet as can be typically. They don't want to be speaking publicly. They don't want to be that person. They're very, very happy just being this very deep, deep Christian and just quietly behind the scenes, often just serving the Lord. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to see the Billy Grahams. And go, man, here's a guy who spoke to the world 
evangelized up to 99 years old. He lived and had a powerful witness his entire adult life and, and really has changed a generation by preaching the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, right? But I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised to see that he's going to be probably on the back row. And all of these servants, you know, some guy who was a deacon in a little tiny church out in a village in Romania is going to be on the front row. Or some guy who faithfully served the Lord that nobody in the church even knew he hardly existed. But yet he was there every Sunday morning early making sure everything was physically prepared before the people ever started coming. I, I know some people like that, and they don't want the limelight. You can't give it to them, but I think they're going to get it in heaven, and they're going to be fine with it there. But nevertheless, we, we see that an elder deacon, overseer deacon, whichever word you want to use, it's still a spiritual office. It's still two spiritual offices or positions. Titles, I don't know about giving titles. People get weird when you give them titles. But it's still a place that God's doing. God's raising them up to be a spiritual leader in the church. Not, so it's not just the overseers that teach are the spiritual leaders in the church. There's some guys that are just working on physical things, but yet... You may not know them because they've never been publicly speaking, but they are nevertheless very important spiritual leaders in the church. We see this happen very quickly. The church is only a few days old, a few weeks old, maybe a few months old at the most. And in Acts chapter 6, you guys remember this story? Let me read it in verse 1 through 5, Acts 6. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Those are Greek-speaking Jews. They're Jews that have come from other parts of the world. Uh, many of them are widows that they don't speak Hebrew, so they're not able to communicate as well in Jerusalem to the other Jews. And it says, because the widows were neglected in the daily distribution... So at this time, they had an HWM uh, protesting going on. The Hellenistic Women Matters. Hellenistic Widows Matter. And, uh, and, and they, they had some needs that they didn't feel were being met. And so it really was a race issue. And the 12th, summoned the multitudes we really know it's only 11 at this time but they're still called the 12 because judas had hung himself but the 12 summoned the multitudes of the disciples said it's not desirable that we should leave the word of god and serve this is that word diakone which is the word servant to serve tables therefore brethren Seek out from among seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over the business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Saying, the saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen and a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And um, 
And then he gives a list of, of other guys. Unfortunately, in chapter 7, Stephen does go from being a deacon to an evangelist preaching the word. And uh, there, Antifa showed up and stoned him to death. That's another story. Um, <laughs> but here's what's going on. They said, we as spiritual leaders are holding a different office and we believe there's some others that can take care of making sure the widows who are Greek speaking get fed. And we need these guys to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That's all they had at that particular time because nobody really had a length of time of being a Christian because Christianity just started. So they really couldn't do verse Timothy 3, which is one of them, observing for a season uh, whether they're ready for such a position. And so <clears throat> this is where we find the word deacon being used. The term deacon itself is used hundreds of times in the New Testament. Sometimes it means to serve like a verb. Other times it refers to a servant who is serving. Uh, it's translated a variety of different ways. Here's some of them, not all of them. Waiter, administration, minister, care for, service, serve, servant, preparation, relief, and support. There's only twice that we see it actually being used as a title. That's in Philippians 1.1, where it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants in Jesus Christ, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, and with the bishops, there's that word, elder, overseer, and deacons, deaconos the deaconos, the, the, the deacons of the church. There it is for sure being used. Only other place is here in 1 Timothy 3 that it's ever clearly being used as a title. And we mostly see it being used as a waiter, as somebody who serves food. Matter of fact, Peter's own mother-in-law, after she was healed by Jesus, became a deaconos, a, a server of food to them. And so when we look at the broad sense of this word, we are all servants of Jesus and of one another. It's constantly being used, being a servant. Jesus served the apostles. Jesus said, blessed are you if you serve one another the way I've served you. And so in, in a broader sense, we are all to become these people that are serving, washing one another's feet meeting one another's needs, caring for one another, and serving food, washing feet, caring for in practical ways and in spiritual ways, both. We are all to a degree called that, but there are some that are called in the church uniquely to hold that spiritual place of leadership as a deacon. We find in 1 Corinthians 12, 5, it says there's differences of ministries, dikonia, but the same Lord. So he goes on in 1 Corinthians 12 to say everybody has a gift of the Lord to serve in the body somehow. And he goes on and gives the spiritual gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, gifts of faith. And he gives a list there in 1 Corinthians 12. He does this also in Romans 12, verse 6 through 8. Let me read that. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. And there, here it is. Or in ministry, dikonia, 
let us use it in the ministering diakonia again. So in the serving, serve. He who teaches, teach. He who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so we are all to aspire to be servants to the Lord and to one another. And, um, and so I, I, I just simply say this, that all of us are being raised up in the Lord in a greater and greater way to serve more and more. And if he so wills, then that would, could become a position in the church. But we're going to discover that many of these deaconess, these deacons, were serving a long time before they were ever given the title or the leadership position of a deacon. So what are the qualifications of these deacons? He tells us deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. Sounds sort of similar. A couple of different changes a little bit from the elders to deacons. But first of all, he, he says reverent. Uh, this could be translated serious. It's a guy who is, you know, easygoing and friendly and everybody feels comfortable and he's sort of a down-to-earth type of guy that everybody feels comfortable around him. But also there is a deep respect for him in his position as a deacon. And he's a person you could trust his advice. So he's, he, even though he's, he's amiable and enjoyable in one sense, he also is a person that you hold reverence for him. You hold his opinion very high. Not double-tongued. The interesting in the Greek, the word is di logos. We know the word logos. That means word, right? Di meaning two. Two words. Saying, don't tell one person or one group of people one thing and tell another person, another group of people, something different. So you're, you're afraid. You're, you're, you're trying to be so... Uh, causing everybody to get along. You're telling this one, this group, what they want to hear, and then you're telling another group what they want to hear, but yet they don't match up. Saying no. You, you've got to be saying the same thing to every single person. Another way of translating this is gossip. Then not given to much wine. Interesting, to elders it says not given to wine, but elders, or to deacons it says not given to much wine. It sounds like they get to drink a little more than the elders, is what it sounds like. Um, but in reality, they are saying the same thing. The actual literal translation is to not be occupied oneself with. In other words, if you're sitting here tonight going, man, I can't wait till service gets over so I can go home and get a drink, you probably have crossed that line. Or if you're thinking about that all day at work, man, I can't wait till work gets over. As soon as I get home, I'm going to pour myself a cold one. As soon as I, if that's something that's more than just getting a Coke or getting a glass of water, it's already past that point. In the, in the New American Standard Version, it says plainly, don't be addicted. And of course, that wouldn't just be wine, but anything that has that addictive profit, that addictive uh, element to it. Paul says, there's no law for me. All things are permissible, but I won't be brought under the power of anything. And then not greedy for money. Probably like today, deacons typically are the ones who handle the offering. And so you want to be able to know these are trustworthy men with the finances. They're not greedy 
for money. They're content and simple uh, in the way they live their lifestyle and their ways. And in verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. I, I love this. So to the elders, he would have said at this point, you need to also know the word well enough to be able to teach it. But to the deacons, he doesn't give that. He actually says the mystery. Paul talks about that. that God was, gave me the mystery of the gospel. Well, what is that? It's just simple Christianity that we know today. It wasn't simple. It wasn't known in Paul's day uh, or in the apostles' day. It was only known in Jerusalem. And then they would go out and tell people everywhere in the world for the first time about Jesus and this carpenter from Nazareth who is the son of God who died and rose again. But they would be holding all the doctrines of the faith dear. They're, they're growing. They're holding on to them. They're being strengthened in the knowledge of doctrine. And they're, they're taking those truths accurately. And they also are doing it with a pure conscience. They're living it. There's a big difference between knowing true doctrine and doing true doctrine. We often know many more right things to do than we actually do. So what is somebody with a good conscience or somebody who's holding fast the mystery? It's one who that gap is getting bridged closer and closer. The, I know more right things and I am doing more right things. And, and eventually, hopefully every right thing we know to do, we are doing it. Paul warns in 2 Timothy about this very thing. He actually says in the last days, this is going to be hard to find elders, hard to find deacons, and it's going to be hard to penetrate the shell of the world because it's going to be so hardened. In 2 Timothy 3.1, it says this, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Now he goes on and gives a long list of that, but I'm not going to do that here tonight. But in verse 5, he said, Ultimately, it boils down to this. They have a form of godliness. They're still calling themselves Christians. They're still going to church on occasion. They're, they're still acting like you would think they're a part of the, the, the fold. They're a part of the sheep of, of God's pasture. But they, they have no, they're denying his power. They have no reality of it in their life is the best way to say it. it they say it with their mouth, but in their life, there's no real working out in their life. And of such people turn away. He goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I just got a text from Joe, and he said, let's shoot for next Wednesday to be able to meet inside, next Wednesday night. So we're going to talk about it. So don't go telling everybody, just you guys here know. I forgot, we're streaming. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and do it again with a pure conscience, uh, holding fast. And the days are coming when that number of people holding fast the truth and keeping it with a good conscience, it's going to start getting smaller and smaller. Remember in 1 Thessalonians, 
The Lord will not come, the rapture will not happen until first there's an apostasia. You know what that is, a great falling away of people who at least claim to be Christians from the church and from the Lord. I think that might be happening with this coronavirus, I really do. I think, I think it's hap a couple of different things are happening, at least in the church in the western part of the world. I think there were a number of people that had gotten in their groove to come to church five times a year. In their minds, they want a whole lot more. But you know, you know those guys that always come, they always come to me and say, you should, you should know, I've been a member here for 25 years. It's like, I started the church, and I've never seen you before, <laughs> you know? But, but in their minds, they've been there four times in 25 years, and they claimed it to all their relatives that was their church, but it was never real. But I do think there are people that know the right things, but the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. I mean, our options for sin are multiple. When I was growing up as a kid, you had a choice of three channels. There wasn't a whole lot to, to decide about. Now you say, let's watch a movie, and you're like, oh my goodness. There's, there's a million categories, and then you start looking at a million choices under a million categories. How can you ever decide? Well, now it's just everything's so simple, easily handed to you. And um, just the love of this world is going to come in and snatch away that passion for God. So that's why Jesus says, when we talk about end times, Jesus said, you watch yourself and you be ready. You count your, you, you live in such a way that you'd be counted worthy to be raptured away and to escape all these things. So um, I think right now we, we, in this coronavirus, I think those people that were barely connected to us when they couldn't be connected at all, I think that that little twig that was holding them onto us is gone forever. And then I think there's another group of people that have been spending way too much time with themselves and they're scared. It scared themselves. Looking in the mirror and looking who they really are and where they are really are in obedience to Christ and where they really are as a follower of God and where they really are living for God. And there's been so many horrible choices what they can do at home and maybe they did that for a few weeks until it just saturated and they got they just realized man I'm just getting more sinful and more sinful or at least it's becoming more evident to me how far away from God I really am and they are scared to death and they are pressing in on the Lord right now and I think that's a good thing but then it comes back to us and we just need to realize when we are in these last days which I think we are that to hold on to truth is going to be harder than maybe you think, for sure harder than it's been in the past. And in verse 10, he says, But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. So give it some time. Don't rush it. I know they're being really helpful, and they've been doing it for months or maybe even a couple of years. I don't know, but I, I've seen their character and I've seen them in the church outside the church I've heard testimonies of people that they work with and 
and the, the message I'm getting back is they still got a few things to work out. Hopefully, one of these mature guys in the Lord would grab such a guy and say, hey, let me spend some time with you going through a book of the Bible or going through a book on godly characteristics or on marriage or on finances, whatever the area is weak in. Well, why, why do you want me to do this six-week thing on, on my finances? Because I've heard <laughs> that you owe some people some money or that you're getting behind on some things that you're not being a good steward. And I just want to help you with that area so God can use you in a greater way than you're being used today. But when this is basically seen, and it wasn't a very long list, was it? When, when it's evident that his, that testing his character out, that it's there in a, in a powerful way. And he be found blameless. This is the same word we saw with elders, beyond reproach. It literally means not to be held. So if somebody made an accusation against you and it went to the court of law, there would not be evidence there to indict you. That's literally what it means. But in the church, outside the church, nobody has anything against you. And if anybody did bring something against you, they would be found to be the bad person because you, you are walking blamelessly. I, I like one person. He said it's the three C's of spiritual leadership. The three C's are a combination of charismata, which is the Greek word for gift. It's a gifting from God. Secondly, it's a calling of God. And then third, the character. And that's what we're looking at in 1 Timothy 3, that godly characteristic. So a person might be called, a person might be gifted, but yet he may need some help. He may need some time. He may need some strengthening from the brothers. You know, I really think that's the plan. I, I think a lot of people have been raised with no help from their parents, no help from the example they had at home, whether it's in marriage or how to raise kids or how to run your finances or how to spend your time fruitfully. And they're, they're trying to dig themselves out of this hole and they can't figure out how to get there to get to a place where they have a more fruitful life. And they simply need somebody to come alongside and strengthen them to, to learn the, the characteristics that make for a more fruitful believer. So God can take that gifting that you see you, you sense the calling, but now you, you help them with the character so they can be that person God wants them to be. Now, verse 11 is interesting because it's going to talk about women in some way, and then it's going to go back to talking about deacons some more. So it says, likewise, their wives. Now, the actual Greek word there is kune. Kune means, it can mean deaconess or wife it literally says this uh, kune means a woman of any age whether a virgin or married or a widow or referring to a wife or even it could mean a woman to whom one's betrothed to or engaged so it's a very generic word so some here say i think this is talking about the wife of the deacon and others say, no, no, it's, it's going down the list. It started with the overseers or elders. It went to deacons, and now it's going to the women deacons. It's talking about another position. There are good arguments on both sides. Um, 
the question would bring up, well, why didn't they talk about the wife of the elder? The wife of the elder is going, hey, this is pretty good. I have no qualifications, you know. Uh, only the deacon's wife. Don't be a deacon, honey. Be an elder. Um, that's one of the arguments against it. But the other argument, and I think the main argument, is he goes right back in after verse, after verse 11 and 12 to start talking about deacons some more. So it seems like he hasn't really left that subject. So referring to the, the, the spiritual leader's wife, I think this would apply to the elders and the deacons both. I also think it applies to all women. So really it doesn't matter how you look at it. It's something when all women should aspire to be to, whether their husband's an elder or a deacon or just a bump on the log. She should still want to be this person. <laughs> so um, in Romans 16.1, it's interesting, it says, I commend to you um, Phoebe, our sister, who is a deaconos of the church in century. Is this a title or not? Some say yes. This is referring to her as a deaconess in that church. Others saying no, it's just saying she's a great servant, a great strength in that church. So it could look either way. To get more specific on this, the masculine form of the word deaconos is applied to both men and women as we find here in Romans 16.1 about Phoebe. However, Paul could not use deaconess in a feminine gender due to the fact that no such ginger existed, no such word existed at that time. So as we talked about earlier, the word deacon is used a lot for a number of different things and was not often used as a noun referring to the type of positions or a title, mostly is talking about the actual doing of serving. Thus, since no word for deaconess was available, the only way to distinguish between the male deacons and a female deaconess, if there is such a thing, was to use the word as Paul used it here. So some say that, that if you look at the, the wordage that could have been used for a wife, Paul could have used that wordage and there would have been no question about it. But the wordage Paul used here was a very generic word, which makes you wonder, is he talking about a wife? I wouldn't think so, because if he did, it was talking about a wife, why didn't he use a more clear word? So there's two good arguments that. So you have one group of people are quite certain that this is talking about a deaconess. Um, and then you have another group of people that are quite sure it's referring to the wife. And uh, I have a lot more arguments for each in my notes than I'm going to go in here tonight. But I don't think we can be dogmatic either way. I simply say that Woman, man, child, these are all attributes that we should all seek to have in our lives. So ladies, it says in 1 Timothy 3.11 now, likewise these kune must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. The word reverent there, we already talked about it. It said the deacon, her husband, or a man deacon, needs to be that serious-minded person. Easygoing. Everybody feels comfortable around him, but yet there's a weight about him that people greatly respond to. Not slanderers. Literally, the Greek word here is devil. 
Diablos, the devil. It's translated in Matthew 4.1, when the devil came to tempt Jesus, this is the word being used. Ladies, don't be the devil. Whew, that's pretty strong. But in essence, it's saying here that um, you need to be careful how you talk, especially in the church, that nobody is being talked bad about by you. Wives of leaders sometimes can hear things they shouldn't have heard, or they can know about things in the church that maybe they shouldn't know about. And again, they tell you what they know or what they think they know or half of what they've heard. And all of a sudden, you've got rumors going on and, and things very confusing. I, I never really understood this until I lived in a small town. I was in a, I pastored for almost a year up in a, a small town in Northern California just a couple of years ago. And it, it was unreal. There literally every week was four or five crazy rumors. And I didn't know what to do with it. I, I, get, I have a list server a number, about 350 Calvary pastors. And I'm like, guys, do you know anything about this? And guys were telling me their stories. They were so funny. Like one of them, there's a guy in the church who made rocks. He'd take rocks and he'd write Bible verses on them. Some were big, put on the flower beds. Some little ones, you hand them out to people as a witness. He was a really neat guy, but he decided to move from there. And the rumor went out that I hated his rocks. And the same day that he left town, I got every single one of them off the church property. Yeah, it's just like, how do people think these things up? You know, I mean, how do, how do they even start? It's hilarious. But let me tell you, as silly as that is, and as silly as you think you could stop that rumor, right? Just look on the church property. The rock that was there last week is still there. It'd be pretty easy to end that rumor. Do you think that rumor ends? And then it dies down for a while, and then three weeks later, it's right back up again. And, and uh, it's, and of course, that's one of the more innocent ones. You know, the, the, the first one was that I was going to fire everybody on staff, um, <laughs> which um, all the staff guys wondered if it was true or not. And I, I'm going, I, I don't know what you're talking about. How did you, how did this even start? And then about three weeks later, they're like, now, let me ask you again for the second time. It wasn't true the first time. It's not true the second time. I, I don't know how these things get going. But if I tried to track it down, I'd say that girls talk more often than guys. Okay? I mean, it's just a fact. Girls talk more than guys. Typically. In my house, I think I talk more than my wife. But it doesn't talk positively about me. But uh, typically, girls want to talk more. And then we see also temperate. Again, this is, as we talked about with elders and deacons, it's not given to extremes. Um, literally, the word could be meant to be wineless or unmixed with wine. In other words, you're not looking like you're a little bit under the influence of something. I, I think a good example would be if you ask somebody to watch your kids, and as you're getting ready to pass your kids off to them, they're acting a little in and out, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, come back whenever, you know, you probably wouldn't hand your kids off, right? That's sort of what they're saying here. 
Next is faithful in all things. No big deal. You guys got that one down. Um, it's pretty radical, isn't it? That there's, there's just this deep faithfulness in every area of their life, whether it's as a wife or a mother, in their finances, with their mouth, in the church, in the community. They are just this solid, faithful person. Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 and 2 said, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. So there it is. He's going, hey, that's the only thing God's asking of me. When I stand before God in the day of judgment, he has one question for me. Have you been faithful with what I've given you? You guys remember that story, right? The servants all come in. One servant was given one talent, another one given three, another one given five. You guys remember that story? And he starts asking him, what did you do with what I gave you? And the one guy comes back who had one talent said, oh, I was so afraid of you because you're such an austere man. I just buried in the dirt. And Jesus said, if you're really afraid, you could have put it in the, the bank and, and maybe got made anything on it, but you wouldn't lose anything. That's not true. And he gave him nothing. But to everybody else, one guy that was faithful with five, he gave him ten and so forth. So that is a good thing for us to look at. So let the deacons, in verse 12, going back now to talking about deacons, let the deacons be the husband of one wife. We talked about that last week. A one-woman man. He's not perusing with his eyes. He's not checking out other women and trying to uh, see if something could get stirred up. He's just focused on one relationship, and that's with his wife. Ruling their children and their own house as well. This is the same with the elders, if you remember, to be one who's overseeing his house. doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean that all his kids are believers because there's a point at time where they have to make their own decision whether to follow Christ. It's interesting that if you take the, wor the word rule and well and put them together, it could actually be translated beautiful or appealing to the eye. In other words, when we look at your household, it's pleasant to see how things are going in your home life. What sort of an example of two opposite things that would, this would look like? Sometimes there's a type of person who's so busy trying to save the whole world that he never has time for his own family at home. And then sometimes you've got a guy that's just so godly, so wonderful outside the home, but then when he comes home, he acts like uh, the worst possible person in the world. And that's how you end up with a lot of bitter kids that think all Christians are hypocrites. It's often from the pastors or the elders and the deacons and their families, and it shouldn't, have, shouldn't ever be the case. And now we're closing up here in verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing, a great boldness in faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So elders deacons, deaconesses, or the wives of the deacons, whichever it is, all who serve well, all believers who serve well. What's that mean, to serve well? It means that they gave their best to God. They didn't give God the leftovers. Their main aim in life was to serve God. Isn't that true? 
Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. But they're giving God their best, the top, the first fruits of their life are given to the Lord. They'll have a good standing. It literally means an elevated stand, or we would say in our English, he's put up on a pedestal. God, when you honor God, God will honor you. And God's saying, these people, I'm going to make them stand out as examples to the community of what people who I made in my image are looking like. And then a great boldness. It literally is saying here, your sphere of power in your speech will grow. That you'll have more boldness. You look at Stephen, he was just passing out bread. And then the next thing, he's standing before the Sanhedrin and giving this eloquent sermon how they all need to repent. A good example of this would be found of Peter and John in Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled. They realized that they had been with Jesus. There it is. Been faithfully following Jesus. What we know, what we do, are very very similar and we're growing in that and we're doing it day after day week after week year after year just to love God just to love people and God raises us up to that spiritual position and we are the same person whether we're at work whether we're at church whether we're at home we're the same person and our character is is doesn't have extremes it's just being steady serving the Lord so the long journey begins with just the first step in the right direction, right? Every great ministry of the Lord began with one person who heard such a message as this right now and purposed in their heart to be that faithful steward, to be that faithful servant that says, man, as I hear this message tonight, what I know and what I'm living, they're not the same thing. And they're actually going, that gap is getting bigger. <laughs> what I know to do right and what I am doing is getting lesser, not more. Well, just right now, repent. Cast all your cares upon the Lord. He cares for you. Put that burden on him and say, Lord, what I know, I want it to be the same thing as what I do. Lord, I want to be that faithful servant that you can lift up and exalt and, and your name would be glorified. Men would see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. Such people started when they purposed in their heart to be that man or that woman of God. How should we respond? I think it's pretty simple. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, that he may lift you up. In 1 Peter 5.6 Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You know, as we look at this list last week and this week, and, and it, it was sort of hard, wasn't it? I mean, it was sort of grinding it out, uh, little one-liner things and explaining what they mean. Uh, it wasn't for the faint of heart. But really, when we're done with it, we look at that list, and just like it says in Matthew 28, it's easy and light. Jesus said, come unto all you who are weary and heavy laden. 
and I'll put my yoke upon you. The yoke was a big piece of wood they put on the backs of these giant ox. So they could just simply with a little rope steer the ox by pulling on that big giant wood on its back. And Jesus says, come into me. I'm going to put my yoke upon you. The big giant block of wood. <laughs> but it's easy and it's light. And in his presence, we find a rest for our souls. When it really boils down to it, at least once a day when you go to bed at night, probably a few times in the day, you just want peace. You want a life without worry. You want a life without anxiety. And read the Psalms. David says, when I'm hiding under the shadow of his wing, I'm at peace. When I'm putting myself in the crux of that rock and he's overshadowing me, that's when I'm at rest. And I would just simply say to all of us, we should all desire the good work of being an elder, a bishop, an overseer, a deacon. He who desires such a work desires a good work. We should all say, Lord, I want to be used more. Lord, I want my words to go further. Lord, I want my life to have touched more people. And we come back to that place to just say, Lord, here I am. But when you really look at this, you know, I, I was many years ago in Mexico City. And up at the Basilica, the big Catholic church, they have this, the gates, the fence all around it. They have big giant padlocks put on it. It used to be little ribbons, but what it was, you couldn't put one on until you had walked on your knees for two miles uphill on the asphalt to the Basilica. And if you did that, then you could tie the little ribbon on there and God owed you one. Or God would heal my mom. Or God would help my son quit being an addict anymore or whatever. Day and night, you saw these little old ladies and many others, hundreds, thousands, at certain times a year, on the asphalt, grinding out their knees for two miles going uphill. I'll just tell you, it just, I hate religion. Jesus hated religion. Religious people killed him. And it just makes me so angry that somebody told them, you can follow Jesus, but it's heavy. It's going to cost you. You're going to bleed. It's going to take you days uphill on the asphalt on your knees. Our Lord just never does that. What he asks us to do, we just go, that would make our life so much better. What he's asked us to do, and he's saying he'd give us the power to do it. What he's asking us to do, it would make me a better husband, a better parent, a better friend. It would make me a better worker. It would make me more fruitful. It's, he, he's not asking me to do some religious weird stuff. I, I remember in the office I used to rent in San Diego, right next to us, there was a, a Catholic organization that worked there. And, and during the summers, I remember one summer in particular, it was well over 100 degrees day after day and we were you know had short pants and tank tops on and and here would come these priests with these black garments of this little white little white thing on their their collar there and uh, i was with a, a guy in my church very innocently very innocently a new christian guy 
he just saw the guy just sweating bombs under this religious Catholic outfit and just said to him, don't you have a summer wear? <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't you have a white garment with a black collar that's a little, you know, less hot? And I remember that Catholic priest looked at him like he could kill him. I mean, just, he was so angry. He thought we were mocking him. But, but it's sort of a, a good question to ask, you know? Is God really requiring this of you? Is it really in the Bible? Where is it really written? And for us, we look at this. Husbands, concentrate on your wife only. What a burden! That's why I hate Christianity! Oh, what was that again? Oh, yeah, okay, okay. I, I think my wife would like that one also, you know? Be honest and don't be greedy for money. That's why I hate Christians. They make you not be greedy for money. Sort of like, what, what's God really asking? It, it reminds me of that verse in Micah 6, 8. What has God required of you, O man? But to do justly what our conscience says, made in the image of God? We already know in our hearts, don't we? To do justly, to love mercy. I love mercy. Anybody else love mercy? I need lots of it. I, I live in mercy. And then just to walk humbly with your God. Oh, peaceful, isn't it? Let all of us be deacons. Let all of us aspire to be servants of God and servants of one another. Thank you for your word here again tonight, Lord. And we just thank you again that it would go deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts that you, we would hide your word in our heart and then we wouldn't sin against you. We would meditate in your word day and night and then whatever we do would prosper. Lord, we want our families to prosper. We want our wisdom to increase. We want our love for others and love for you and love for people that we've never met before, but yet we see them on TV or on the freeway and our heart melts and we just start crying out you could touch their lives. Lord, please use us. Make us into the men and women of God after your own heart who do all your will. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen.